anticipate. But 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth, here's our faith, he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. We talked about that doctrine last week. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are, are what? One. Let's pray. Father, bless this time in your word as we continue looking at what we believe. And just taking our, our church statement of faith and going through and look at some of these foundational doctrines that, that we need to be reminded of. Not just what we believe, but to understand why we believe what we believe and look into your, your word and see what it has to say and to, to, again, reassure our hearts of who you are and all that you've done for us. So bless these this time together in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heard of a church. They uh, were called a special business meeting. They were voting on, on purchasing a chandelier for their sanctuary. But this business meeting, they started the meeting, and one man, it wasn't too long, one man stood up and he said, I just want everybody to know, he said, I'm against this, he said, I'm against this, he said, uh, for one thing, he said, nobody can spell it, for another thing, nobody around here knows how to play it, and he said, and thirdly, what we really need around here is more light. <laughs> well, I wonder sometimes if we don't, some of the things that we're talking about, we, well, we, we've heard it, we, but do we really know what it means? <laughs> Do we really know uh, what, what we believe? Do we really understand these key doctrines? We've heard it and, and the word, and, and maybe we can spell it. <laughs> but what we really need is, you know, uh, as the joke says, but no, we need to, uh, to understand the things uh, that, that God is teaching us here, to be convinced in our own minds of these important truths. So point four in our statement of faith, we've talked about what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about uh, God, the Godhead, what we believe about Jesus Christ last week, and now this morning, what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And of course, some of these things are going to overlap, obviously, as we're talking about this. But point four in our statement of faith, our church statement of faith says this, we believe, and I print it in your bulletin, I believe there as well inside the page, we believe that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and that he is the supernatural agent in regeneration, baptizing all believers into the body of Christ, indwelling and sealing them unto the day of redemption. That's concise just a little bit, but uh, that's the key point of our statement, our statement of faith. So how do we view the, the Spirit? How do we view the Holy Spirit? Is he a real being? Or is he just our, our conscience, or a little voice in the back of our head that tells us when we're doing things wrong, you know? <laughs> In the Bible, we see him descend like a dove, Christ's baptism. He's symbolized by fire, uh, by, by water, by a mighty rushing wind. But what do we really know about him? Again, some teach that he is merely an unseen force or, or influence in the world, that he's not a literal personal being. And let me just say this, if we're not careful, we can be guilty of promoting a similar philosophy in how we treat the Holy Spirit. That is, that, he's, that uh, you know, again, though unintentional, fundamental Christianity 
sometimes downplays, often downplays the role of the Spirit to the point of making Him impersonal uh, or, or insignificant. Whether it's in our worship, I mean, we become so accustomed to the routine and not letting the Spirit lead where He wants to lead. And as the message is preached, by the way, we can sit there and nod our head and not let the Spirit work in our heart. We're just there to put our time in or we're just there to, to whatever the reason is. But anyway, so in our worship, or maybe, maybe we downplay uh, his significance in our service, okay? uh, or maybe even in our soul winning. All right? If we get to the point where we say, well, if I can just get him to, to say this prayer, <laughs> or, uh, uh, or maybe if, I can just, if, if he'll just acknowledge these four points, uh, then all is well. Again, sometimes I think we've shut the Holy Spirit out of the equation if we're not careful. Uh, we're in it to do this, 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 and this, and uh, uh, what, for whatever reason it might, it might be. But we've left the Holy Spirit out. And let me just say this. The, the, the apostles, the early church, they didn't have a, and please don't take this wrong, they didn't have a soul winning program or a soul winning manual. You know what their program was? Everywhere they went, the, the, as they come across, uh, met people, as they went, they proclaimed the message. Just told them what Jesus did in their, in their heart. And I'm not against, man, I'm not against honing some things and making sure you understand the fine points or whatever you want to say, but, but sometimes we do all that and we forget about the role of the Holy Spirit. He has to be the one to convict the heart. <laughs> no matter what we can say, and, and again, there's those who say, well, we just know the right terminology and the right way to unlock somebody's, like, we don't unlock anybody's heart. God has to do that. The Holy Spirit has to do that. And so uh, I just think we need to make sure that we're including him uh, in this uh, equation. But in whatever way, we often downplay the role of the Spirit. Now we know there's those who go to the other extreme, uh, and they attribute to the Spirit things that uh, are unbiblical and so forth. But we can be just as guilty of going to the extreme uh, and not letting him lead as he wants to lead in our worship and our service and our soul winning. First John chapter 5, verse 7, we read, it says, There's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. We said the last couple of weeks, as we talked about the Godhead, and talked about Christ and His deity a little bit, that while each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, share, they share the same attributes, they serve in differently, distinctly different roles. But the Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes of the Godhead. He's eternal. Uh, he is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. Uh, he is uh, immutable, unchangeable, that is. He's holy. All those attributes of God and of Christ, the Son, the Holy Spirit also possesses. He serves as the agent. We talked about Christ. He serves as the Redeemer and, uh, and Lamb of God and serves our intercessor at the throne of God. The Holy Spirit serves as the agent of the new birth, the indwelling comforter of the people of God, the seal of our salvation. The Bible clearly teaches that he is not just an influence or an idea, but he is indeed God. In fact, he's mentioned some 350 times in Scripture, yet again, is often misunderstood and a neglected doctrine. So let's look at a couple of things this morning here, three things. First of all, notice his person. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we'll be turning a few different places this morning. John chapter 14, and just look at his, is he real? 
at his personhood, if you will, his person. John 14, verse 16. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Now in 1 John, John just told us that the Spirit is truth, right? And so he's overlapping here. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Notice what he says there in verse 17. He says, uh, the world doesn't know him, but you know him. Now that begs the question, how can you know someone that doesn't exist? <laughs> so, number one, he can be known personally. He can be known. You cannot know someone who does not exist. Christ himself refers to the Spirit as he, him, himself, many times. The Holy Spirit desires to have a close, personal relationship with you. That is, that he might lead us, that he might teach us, he might guide us in our daily lives. That's what I mean by a close, personal relationship. He can be known personally. Secondly, he can be grieved. As a person, he can be grieved. Hold your place here in John, because we're going to come back, but go to Ephesians chapter 4. You've no doubt seen this passage before, but let's look just a little bit at it. Ephesians 4, verse 22. Where he says that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore... Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And look at verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. That word grieved means to afflict with sorrow. To afflict with sorrow. So what grieves the Spirit? What, 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 what afflicts Him with sorrow? Well, notice some things He mentions here. Verse, and I'm not going to touch on all these, but verse number 25 says, When you lie, you cause the Spirit to grieve. Lying, deception. Uh, it, it, it afflicts Him with sorrow. When there's anger, unrighteous anger, and boy, we make all of our anger righteous. And, I mean, we try to. <laughs> But it's most often, 99.99% of the time, it's about us. Okay? But his anger grieves the Holy Spirit, afflicts him with sorrow. Uh, verse 28, laziness afflicts the Spirit with sorrow. Uh, and I uh, won't go too far down that road, but uh, again, uh, when it comes to serving the Lord, we can become lazy. And that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, you know, it's hard enough to get people to be faithful 
in church, let alone committed to some area of service uh, in, their, uh, in their life to God. I heard somebody say one time, if absent makes the heart grow fonder, think how much some people must love their church. <laughs> well, anyway, laziness grieves the Spirit of God. Corrupt communication, verse 29. Uh, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Uh, and that, what it literally means there, to tear down. That's the opposite of, of edification, opposite of building up. And a boy, how sometimes we like to tear people down. <laughs> so corrupt communication grieves the Holy Spirit. Bitterness or, or critical spirit, verse 31. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, uh, malice. All those things are covered there. And so these things cause the Holy Spirit to weep, to sorrow, grieves him. And by the way, when he's grieving, what do you think that does in our life, our heart? <laughs> We're not going to be happy, are we? Uh, and we'll cover more of what he does on a positive note in just a little bit here. But he can be grieved. So he can be known. He can be grieved. He can be lied to. As a person, as a real entity, a real person, he can be lied to. We won't turn there. You remember the story in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, how they sold some land and they wanted to get in on the praise of, of, uh, of sacrificial giving, <laughs> the pat on the back. What is indicated there, I mean, that's what they were looking for. And so they sold land for so much money. They went and they, they said, uh, this is everything we got for, for, for the land. They lied. It wasn't that they'd only give partial payment of the land. They could have done whatever they wanted. It wasn't, you know, nobody was twisting their arm. But they, they lied and said, we're giving everything. Just as some others had come in. So again, they wanted in on the glory a little bit. But they lied. But you remember what Paul said. He said, you've not lied, or Peter, I'm sorry, he said, you've not lied to me, but you've lied to the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know, deception in the name of religion is not just against men, but it's against God. It's shameful enough when we try to fool others how foolish it is when men try to fool God. Right. <laughs> Who knows every thought, every intent of the heart. So he can be known, he can be grieved, he can be lied to, he can be blasphemed. Okay, all of these indications that he is indeed real and that he is a person, a person of the Godhead. Jesus warned of the seriousness of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. As you recall, when some charged that his displays of, of miracles, of his power, was done in the power of the devil. And we'll just say this this morning, God takes accusations against his holiness seriously. And so he can be blasphemed. All of these things indicate that he is indeed a person, real, and he is God. So we see his person, then secondly, I want to notice his purpose. Now turn back to John 14, and this is kind of just where we get in now to see what, what he does for us. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, When the Comforter, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost... Uh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry, chapter 14. Yeah, we were in 16, but now chapter 14. I'm in the right place, but I turned you to the wrong place. John 14, verse 26. The Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be Afraid. What, did he, what is his role today? I think when we looked at, at the Godhead itself, we looked at the Spirit's role in creation and some other things, but what's his role today? Well, it tells us here his role, number one, is to comfort the saint. 
to comfort believers. He took over the comforting ministry of Christ. Christ said, when I go away, and we read in John 16, I'm going to send another comforter. And he said, he will not just be with you, but he will be what? In you. In you. He took over the comforting ministry of Christ. Uh, In uh, verse 16 and 17, in fact, there's those verses, John 14. It says that he, verse 16, that the, chapter 14, verse 16, I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. And then he says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it, know, it, it seeth him not, knoweth he knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now that was something new to them. But it says here, he abides with us forever. That's another guarantee of our salvation. How can we lose our salvation if the Spirit abides with us, in us, forever? Right? How does He comfort us? How does He comfort us? Well, it says here He teaches us. Verse, back to verse 26. He will teach you all things. You know, many of Christ's teachings uh, were, uh, some of them kind of went over the disciples' heads. <laughs> But many of his teachings, they were not fully understood by his disciples. But the Spirit helped them understand. If you read after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, it says, then they remembered. Right? Uh, how did they remember? That was the work of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he helped them understand. He helps us understand the, the, the Word of God. He reminds us, not only teaches, but He reminds us when we hide God's Word in our heart, when we read the Word of God, we hide His Word in our heart, the Spirit brings truths to remembrance when we need them. And I don't know if you, most of you, or many of you, all of you probably have experienced that at some point or another, but uh, you're going about your day, something happens, and, or, or you know, what, I don't know what the situation might be, or maybe you're, you're talking to someone about Christ, and, and all of a sudden, something comes to your mind. Do you think that's the, the prowess of our human mind doing that? <laughs> well, it's the Holy Spirit of God that, that reminds us uh, and in doing so teach, teaches us, but he brings truths to remembrance. He not only comforts through teaching us and reminds us, but he, teaches, he, he comforts us by giving us peace. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, he says. Peace in the midst of trouble, peace in the midst of turmoil. Peace when there shouldn't be any peace. <laughs> in our heart, with the things going on in our lives. But it says he gives us peace. Let not your heart be troubled, let not be afraid, he says. And Jesus also said it's a peace that passes what? All understanding. We can't explain it. We don't understand it. We just know it's real. When we need it, it's there. Peace. He comforts by teaching, uh, by by, uh, giving us peace. He comforts us by interceding interceding for us before God. You say, I thought Christ was our intercessor. He is. But we've got another intercessor as far as uh, this relationship goes. Look at Romans, actually, you don't need to turn that, I think it's on the screen. Romans 8, 26, 27. It says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so as Christ intercedes for us at the throne of God, the Spirit bridges the gap between our heart 
in Christ. <laughs> That's what it says there. When we don't know how to pray for, as we ought. Well, first of all, let's talk about that word infirmity. That word infirmity just means weakness. <laughs> when we're weak. Uh, when, when sometimes we don't even know what to pray. Right. We're so burdened. We're so heartbroken. <laughs> Uh, now, we still pray, okay? We still, uh, as I've said before, someone has said, when it's the hardest to pray, that's when you need to pray the hardest. But just understand that we don't, God knows our sorrow. We may not have all the T's crossed and all the I's that we may not know how to pray, what to pray in certain circumstances. That's where the Spirit comes into to, to place. That he, he intercedes for us. And, and he who searches our hearts, that is God, searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit knows our, our mind, our heart, our, our soul. And so they all come together. For what purpose? Well, Romans 8, 26, 27, we had up there. But verse 28, if you remember, it says, For all things work together for good. Remember? Romans 8, 28. To them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That goes right in that same passage. He works it all together for our good. So, the Holy Spirit, his purpose to comfort the saint through teaching, through peace, through intercession. But then his other purpose, another purpose he has, not only to comfort the saint, but to convict the sinner. Back over to John 16, where we were originally, verse 7. So it's over a page or so in your Bible. Chapter 16, verse 7. And we read some of these verses, but... Look at uh, verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. It's necessary, he says, it's for your benefit. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, here it is, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of the world is judged. So not only does he comfort the saint, but Jesus says he's here to convict the sinner. He's here to convict the sinner. That's why some people get so angry, so offended yeah. <laughs> when you mention anything about the Bible or anything about Christ or anything about salvation uh, because they're under conviction. That's not a good feeling <laughs> to convict the sinner. He says of sin. He convicts the world of sin, revealing man's guilt before God. Again, we're, excuse me, we're born uh, in sin. Yes, we're born with a basic sense of right and wrong. God, I think, bred that into us. Uh, some, you might refer to that as your conscience, perhaps, but a basic knowledge of right and wrong. But the problem is sin corrupted that conscience. Sin corrupted that, that, that basic sense of right and wrong. And by the way, the Bible also says the more you go against the conviction, that is, uh, the more you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, what happens? That conscience becomes, what's the word? Seared. Anybody ever burn your finger, your fingertip, or something like that? And uh, it takes quite some time. Maybe never you get that feeling back, right? <laughs> uh, because it's been seared. Your nerve endings have been, have been uh, burned. And so he, he talks about that conscience becoming seared. And that's why, again, the Bible says there's none that seeketh after God. Uh, so, but he convicts the sinner, the, the sinner of sin. He convicts of righteousness, as it says here. The total deficiency of man's righteousness and the complete sufficiency of Christ's righteousness. Understand for salvation to occur, a person must understand that he is hopeless. That, that, that uh, the only hope for being 
made acceptable before God is trusting in Christ and Christ alone, in His righteousness, our righteousness, the best we can do, the best we can muster with our human ability and willpower is but filthy, stinky, putrid rags in the nostrils of God, of sin, of, of righteousness, and then He also convicts of judgment. As he says there in verse number 11, the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the ways thereof are the end, are the, are the end is what? Death. The end thereof is death. And so the Bible says it's appointed for men once to die, and after this the judgment. Apart from the work of God and of the Holy Spirit, man cannot be saved. Impossible. Without the work of God, without the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus, uh, the Bible talks about, or Jesus said, no man comes Unless the Spirit, what? Draws him. Uh, and so it requires the work of the Holy Spirit and then that person to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and by the way, the Bible also talks about how Jesus draws all men to himself. Okay, So again, no one's left out of this equation. It's not a pick and choose thing where God says, well, I think I'll draw him, but not him. Uh, he draws all men to himself. Uh, and it's up to man then to, to repent and to receive him. His purpose to comfort, to convict, uh, comfort the saint and to convict the sinner. Now let's look at one more point here, very quickly, we're almost done. We see his person, we see his purpose. Thirdly, his power. His power. Go to John chapter 3, the last place we'll turn. John chapter 3. And again, I realize we're not getting into depth on any of these things. Uh, there's much more about each of these that we could delve into including this next one is a biggie, okay? But uh, we're just trying to hit the highlights according to our statement of faith. His power is revealed in salvation. Look at verse number three. Very familiar passage. We won't read all of it. Let me just read a couple of verses here. John 3, verse 3, Jesus answers unto him, talking to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? He, how, can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? He's thinking physical here. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Though that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the contrast he's making in verse 5. So it's not about baptism, okay? But he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee again, you must be born again. And then verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings about the new birth. And it's impossible to produce a spiritual birth by physical means. Whatever physical means you may want to throw in there. It's impossible. Uh, no amount of education, no amount of discipline, no amount of human effort, human works, can change the old sin nature. It has to be a spiritual transformation, a spiritual birth. Man can have a perfect environment, and we've heard that for how long? If only man had a better environment, uh, he would do better. Well, there's coming a day, this is off the subject a little bit, but there's coming a day when there's going to be a perfect environment, Amen. and man still, in the millennial kingdom, man's still going to rebel. So it's not about the environment, it's about the heart. A, a spiritual birth cannot be produced by physical means. Give, any of you grew up on a farm, you, you take your pig, okay, uh, you take him out of the 
the, uh, the, the mud pit. You give him a bath. You wash him up, put a bow in his hair or in his ear. I guess he doesn't have hair, but. Uh, and you let him go, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, he's going to feel better. He's going to all of a sudden decide to change his ways, right? <laughs> no, he's going to go right back into the pig pan, right back into the mud. So it is with salvation. You cannot produce a spiritual birth by physical means. The Spirit of God brings us new life. He changes our standing before God from one of condemnation to that of salvation. The new birth is a supernatural act of God, and again, it's a, an act of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. It's a creative act of God. It says we receive not a, a, a made-over nature or even a renewed nature. It says we receive a brand-new nature, something we didn't possess before. <laughs> That's a creative act of God. Every time someone is saved, uh, God is at work in, in creation, creating that, that new spirit, that new man. So the Spirit of God brings us new life, changes us uh, from, from one of condemnation to that of salvation before God. With the new birth comes the new nature and the indwelling, as we saw earlier, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say this. When you're saved, the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> not part and parcel, uh, not, tid, not, not tidbits, not little pieces. You receive all the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get when you trust Christ as your Savior. But then the question becomes, not how much of the Spirit do you have, the question is how much of you does the Spirit possess? <laughs> not how much, of the, how much of the Spirit do you possess, how much of the Spirit does the Spirit possess of you? <laughs> Trying to get that out in a logical way. He brings about the new birth. But then finally, very quickly, he seals us forever. Seals us forever. And we know the significance of the seal in Scripture. We've talked about this before, but the king's seal, the king's seal. Each king had his own signet, his own seal that he would develop. And when he would send, make a proclamation or when he would send a letter, he would roll that letter up and he would do what? He would put his seal, his wax seal on it. And that seal did two things. Number one, it was for authentication. That is, this is from the king. <laughs> this, the, the king, uh, it, this message is from the king. <laughs> the second thing it did was to preserve it. That is, it could not be opened, could not be tampered with until it reached its intended destination. And think about that beautiful picture of our salvation. When the Holy Spirit seals us with the seal of God, Number one, it's, it indicates authentication. It's, we're the kings. We belong to the king. He's the one that put his stamp, his seal on us. And secondly, there's preservation. Uh, this that he has sealed cannot be undone, cannot be opened until we reach our intended destination. Cannot be broken until we reach our intended destination. Ephesians 1.13 says we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4.30 says, By the Spirit we are sealed until the day of redemption. <laughs> and so this morning, just understand, salvation is not something, it's someone. Amen. It's a divine act. Sealed until when? The day of redemption. <laughs> the day of redemption. To believe that you can lose your salvation is to doubt the very power of and promise of God is to call God a liar, just being frank with you. You look at all the verses of Scripture, and oh, there's a few passages that some like to pull out and say, 
Uh, well, you can fall from grace. I don't know what that verse means, by the way, if you look at the context. But they, they find verses and they try to, to uh, uh, make their case. But God says, we're sealed how long? Forever. The Spirit abides in us how long? Forever. <laughs> God said the world that gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Uh, this idea of forever, it means there's no end, folks. <laughs> there's no asterisks <laughs> in the Bible. When he uses those words, okay, forever, except under these certain, you hear those commercials on TV, right? Uh, this wonderful product, and they give this big list of disclaimers that, that uh, nobody can possibly take all of them in as they're reading them off quickly. Uh, all the, the side effects. <laughs> well, there's no side effect, there's no asterisk in, in the promises of God. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Cannot be opened, cannot be tampered with by anyone. And not even us can break the seal, by the way. Uh, we we uh, are sealed into the day of redemption. I close with this story. And I've used this before, so you may recognize the story. But, but a young couple who had recently immigrated to America, they'd witnessed, been witnessed to, they'd accepted Christ their Savior, and, and they were eager to learn all that they could. The husband became involved in a local church's men's Bible study, uh, at the church there, and he noticed that all the men had the same shirts that they would often wear. They, uh, you know, sometimes groups will do that, and he noticed they all had the same shirt. He didn't know what they said because he couldn't yet read English, but, but they all had the same shirt with the same writing on it. So when he got home, he told his wife that he wished he had a matching shirt so he could fit in. So his wife got busy and made one for him. But after the next meeting, he came home and with a look of disappointment on his face, he had his shirt, but again at the, at the meeting he noticed that all the men had emblems on their shirt. His wife, undaunted by her inability to, to read English, sewed three words which she had copied from a sign in a store window across the street. The husband wore it to the next meeting. This time he came home bubbling with joy. He said all the men loved his shirt. He said they even wished they had one just like it. They said it so aptly described the wonderful change that they had seen in his life. It turned out the words his wife had written that she'd seen in the store window across the street said, under new management. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so it's not about, again, how much of the Holy Spirit we have. It's about how much of us does the Spirit possess. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. How much, of the, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Uh, there's a, a list, and we only touch on a few things, but things that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I'm afraid we grieve Him every day in some form or fashion. So what must we do? We must ask forgiveness. We must uh, get back to where we need to be so we have that, we don't quench the Spirit in our life, as the Bible uses that term as well. But just to give you a moment to examine your own heart, there's not really one point to drill down on today except this. Are you being submissive to the Holy Spirit in your walk, in your worship, in your witnessing? Are you being submissive to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the tremendous promises we have from you that not only 
do you save us? But your promise goes much further than that. You don't only save us, but you keep us. Uh, you preserve us under the day of redemption. We belong to you. And again, what you've started, you always, always finish. And so we thank you for your work in our life. I pray that we just this morning we would be responsive and, and, uh, and submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we're going about our day and, and someone comes to mind or something comes to mind, uh, not just to brush it off, but to do whatever that you may have impressed upon our heart to do, whether it's someone who needs to know Christ, someone who needs some encouragement, whatever it is. Father, may our eyes be open, may we not be so consumed with the routine or so consumed with, with the personal uh, agendas that we have or personal schedules that we have that we cannot see what you want us to see and, and, uh, and to be obedient uh, to, uh, to what you want us to do. Bless as we close this service together and as a church asking for your help, for your direction, your leadership, your guidance. May we be submissive, always eyes always open, watching, looking to how you might desire to use us. This we pray and we thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen.